is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. All right. If the top 40 is your sort of thing, go to bed. Or maybe not. We're looking at Captain Beefheart. Captain Beefheart is an absolute legend in, I suppose you could say, the in-the-know music circles. He's not world famous on the streets for lots and lots of top tens. He's occasionally a very difficult listen, but oh my word, does he garner praise from other musicians especially. His name, Don Van Vliet, and he turned into Captain Beefheart and has done some extraordinary stuff. Yep. Grant Smithies, to have a look at his release from 1978, joins us. Yeah, I'm excited about this too because this is probably my favourite record of his. You know, people obsess over some of the earlier Safe as Milk, Trout Mask, Replica and some of those bits, but mm. I think this is his most solid album from beginning to end. He let himself sort of sway into slightly pop territory with some of these things. If you could call it pop, I reckon you could. Yeah. Couldn't you? Ah, uh, yeah, I you think know? you could. Um, and Captain Beefheart, is an artist that I've never really clicked to, but I know there's something there. You know, I can appreciate Captain Beefheart, but it's like I've got a gene. It's not an anti-Beefheart gene like I've got the anti-Dylan gene. This is just like you can't smell asparagus weeds. I know it's there, but I've never really gotten into him. But I tell you what, listening to this album this week, I'm on the turn. You might have finally discovered the on-ramp. I think so. This is a good place to start, I think. You know, he made spectacularly weird albums early on. Then he made a couple of reasonably lame albums in the middle. Yeah. And then this was a sort of a comeback, more or less, mm. where I think the stars aligned. He got a new band. Lots of the players are different from some of the earlier critters. And he just it's just an interesting thing that had a troubled gestation, but all came true in the end, you know. And you hear that kind of weird pile-up eh, of, of Delta Blues things free jazz stuff that he liked, avant-garde compositional things where he'd drill his band, suss these things out note by note and be really obsessional about what they sounded like and then teach them laboriously yeah. to the band who in the end often hated him and <laughs> left in disgust. He was a, he was a difficult coot. That's true. And there are so many stories surrounding this mysterious cat. He's dead now, but shrouded in mystery in many ways. Neat, neat, neat story. So before we chase the cat out of your lounge with his infernal racket, I'm going to let you with um, uh, <laughs> describe how cool it is more than me, I think. Because um, okay. I'm, I'm way, way fresh to this cause I, because of my recessive Van Vliet gene. Just to tell you folks at home, before you just say this is a racket, two documentaries made about him yep. by the BBC. John... Actually, I've seen one of those years ago. One of them's narrated by John Peel, isn't it? Who was fairly obsessed with him and lauded him at every opportunity and forever compared The Fall and Wire and bands like that to Beefheart as is, you know, the torchbearers for what he started. He was a, a huge fan. Here's John Peel, a quote. If there's ever been such a thing as a genius in the history of popular music, it's Beefheart. I heard echoes of his music in some of the records I listened to last week, and I'll hear more echoes in records that I listened to this week. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah like it. Lester Bangs, who was a, um, a esteemed music critic for Cream and other American mags and notoriously sniffy about various people that other folk thought were the pinnacle of popular recorded music to date, 
said he was one of four or five genuine, authentic <laughs> geniuses to come out of the entire 60s. Yeah. You know, other people would tell you that the 60s was riddled with spectacular musicians, but he sort of narrowed it down to four and four or five, and the captain was one of them. Yeah, so if you hate this music at home, uh, you're going to have to argue with basically the entire music <laughs> industry, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, people that say he's an influence or uh, have yep. great praise for him. On his Wikipedia page, I have never, ever seen anything quite so long. I printed it out. It's two <laughs> full pages of tiny writing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was definitely an original, even though you can hear strong blues undercurrents in there. And he's got sort of howling wolf affections and things like that that you can hear blasting through there. But yeah. then it'll peel off into mumbos and shredded up noise sections of songs, and not on this record as much as um, some of the earlier ones. Yeah. But but I, I get your thing, the recessive beef heart gene, because the person that brought him to attention early on was... Frank Zappa and I have that for Zappa. Yeah, same here. Zappa thing I can listen to. No, and they were they made records together. He recorded on Zappa's record label. They made a record together called Bongo Fury at one point, not long before this one came out, I think. Yeah. And I've always had exactly the same with Zappa. Like I appreciate the tricksy playing and the skill, but the juvenile lyrics and something about the endlessly changing time signatures and things has always just got right on my whack. But yeah. when um, when Beefheart does it on some of these songs. I love it. And some of the instrumentation is broadly similar. It's not sort of covered or scribbled all over with Zappa's guitar, mm. as Zappa's own records are. But the thing where marimbas and the guitar are forming a lot of the sort of melody, jerky, spasming sort of melody lines and things together is a bit Zappa-ish here and there, I suppose. Yeah. I've got the same Zappa recession, Gene. Um, I've never really got him. But, uh, you know, in polite conversation, I just keep a straight face and, and don't take part because I know there's <laughs> got to be something there because people whose judgment I love, uh, some of them really love him. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is what I've been doing with Captain Beefheart until this week. So let's hit the floppy boot stomp track one side one. And I wrote, God, this is nearly a pop song. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Blues-inflected slide guitar and excellently chunky drums on this, and he calls it himself in the lyrics, a voodoo hoedown, a rural encounter with the devil, you know, which was common enough in blues tunes, but this isn't uh, any ordinary blues tune. The floppy boots go to the ground, the farmer screaming in blue sky off the mountains. I sockets look down on the chestbone meadows and the sun drop down and the moon ran off. Red head screamed, I'm late kicked in the fire, leaped and licked. Red 
car went out. In hell was just an ice cube melting off in the ground. John Lennon and Paul McCartney, known as huge admirers of Captain Beefheart. So if you hate this, you're going to have to argue with them, John Lennon. Good luck with that. And the Beatles planned to sign Beefheart to the, their experimental Zapple label as well. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Right. I mean, in fact, this record was the parting of ways, record company-wise, with Zappa. Yeah. Because um, Zappa's manager used a whole lot of Zappa's royalty checks to fund it. Yeah. And then Zappa found out and went, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And withheld the tape. So a second, three or four of these tunes, some of the better things on here actually, were re-recorded. And that's why it's called Shiny Beast, Bat Chain Puller. Initially it was going to be called Bat Chain Puller, but that half of that got pulled. So there you go. Yeah. A great thing, though. I think it's one of those things where it getting knocked sideways by some sort of legal dispute benefited the record. We'll play another track from it, track two, a uh, bit of it anyway, Tropical Hot Dog Night. Yeah. I love this. It's one of my favourite things on here. You know, it's got great horns and the vibe of it somewhere between mariachi music and some sort of carnival tune from Trinidad or something. And it's just sort of joyous and lustful. Isn't it? And bright and so on. I would inflict this on people if I was DJing, actually, and, and get great pleasure watching them attempt to dance around to it. Uh -huh. I reckon it's splendid. I think it's splendid too. I wrote Gorgeous Thing, a tangle yeah. of instruments that strangely come together in a pleasing way that you don't expect. Yeah, yeah, there's a good jigsaw going on. It's a good band. Yep, totally. A lot of these songs hang sometimes on the horn players too, don't they? Too much for me, but there you go. It reminds me a lot of the Meat Puppets. 
Right. Here it is, Tropical Hot Dog Night. And, man, there are so many crazy stories around Captain Beefheart. Stay tuned for them, even if this doesn't turn you on.
to tonight. Tropical hot dog night. I think it's happened. What's that? You've turned the corner. I think I've turned the beef heart corner. My God, there's a whole world of weirdness awaiting you if that's the case. Must have 10 records of his here, I yeah. suppose. This one really stood out for a lot of things kind of consolidating with a pop undercurrent. Okay, let's tell an interesting story because we haven't got time to tell them all. Are uh, you sitting down sort of stories? He was really good mates with Frank Zappa as kids and they used to lock themselves in, their, in, in his bedroom. He was a real spoilt little kid, thought to be an artistic prodigy, told the world that he never went to school and learnt everything from Mars or something along those lines. Um, he would order his mother around, give me a Pepsi, give me a Pepsi. And this has turned into some weird legend that, like... Popeye eating spinach, he would have a Pepsi and things would change and everything would come together. And Frank Zappa actually wrote her song, For God's Sake, Give the Man a Pepsi. Good stuff. Weird. It's funny to think of those two such weird asses hanging out with each other when they're nippers, eh? In the desert regions of California, which is where they're both from. And he genuinely was an artistic prodigy too. He got offered a scholarship, a sculpture scholarship to Europe when he was in his teens, I think. Yeah. Which his family turned down and moved to the Mojave Desert instead. He became, towards the end of his career, a really esteemed painter and stopped making music altogether. I think... Beefheart was just a genuinely weird dude, a genuine eccentric. He was just an original, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't really copying anyone. He was doing his weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's great stories to be found online, actually, of times when he made these records where he closeted himself away with the band and just a complete tyrant. Oh, we'll tell you some tyrant <laughs> stories. We'll take a short break. We're looking at Don Van Vliet's, otherwise known as Captain Beefheart, and his magic band, Shiny Beast, from 1978. Someone got in touch with Grant Smithies. Actually, it was Gary Sullivan. Was it? Drummer from Jean Paul Sartre Experience and yeah. Dimmer, various other things. One of our he, finest. He was saying, love your bits and bobs of 1978 records. What about Captain Beefheart? So good man, Mr Sullivan, I think. Really good call. Just a reminder, if you like these things, we've got a huge freaking archive of them of Eldon's Turning 40, so if you want to hear some good cat fights, I recommend Aja, uh, Steely Dan. That's a good one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. We had differing opinions on that. Oh, Jesus, did my, my considered and wise opinion, you're a reasonably shite one. Let's move on. Harry Irene. Called... This is touching, wouldn't you say? Not really. You know? It's sappy but touching, I think. I can it's do without a, it. It's a story of a couple that lived together, ran a wee shop, made extraordinary tuna sandwiches and sold cheap wine to painters. In the end, Irene leaves, and it ends with poor Harry. I'm rather dismissive of it because it's, it's not like nobody else could have made this tune. No, that's true. But we'll play a section of it so you get, you know, get the idea. Harry, Irene, were a couple that lived in the green. Ran a canteen Ran a canteen Two people Harry and Irene Like he'd never seen The floor was made of oak The dough was smoky gray 
Their tuna sandwiches would turn the dark into day. They sold wine like turpentine to painters. They took the social life like props to aviators. A little bit of hairy eye ring there. A uh, bit of musical weirdness. We'll be playing segments of these. Uh, we won't be able to play all of them, but it'll, it'll give you a taste of what they're like. Should we rip into another story? Go for your life. He's a famous painter. He's a seriously famous painter. And not like someone who would dabble and they get attention because they've been in a famous band. He's no. a famous painter. Yeah. Towards the end, before he died, he was selling paintings for, you know, upwards of 25 grand selling more of them than he could make, not making that many of them. He was living in a trailer by the stage out in the desert. Sort of stopped making music, retired from that and threw himself into painting full-time and did that for the last decade or so of his life. Okay. Oh, I don't know if we'll get it all in. Don't cry if we don't. Uh, we're giving you a taste. You Know You're a Man from the album from 1978, Shiny Beast. It's the meat puppets shine through to me and that's, yes. gosh, they really should send him a check. Yeah, I reckon. Beautiful contrasting chords. They give the thing a, a certain type of depth. You can tell yep. I'm reading that. That's what I wrote down. like this one band doing one song and another doing a slightly different song at the same time but it works yeah yeah they're nicely sort of clamped together aren't they these things clever as all hell definitely one of the things i like the most on here comes next which is the title track apparently it was just inspired by the um rhythm of the captain's windscreen wipers on his way back from somewhere so who cares? Just, yeah but it's just a sort of odd stompy rhythm and some fairly demented pressurised vocal shouting and surreal lyrics and it will give people if they haven't heard his earlier things that he made more of a blast of what some of them are like you know the ones that make people go what the hell is going on on this record yep. you know like bits of Trout Mask Replica and so on where he's ranting and raving and it's like the sort of almost demonic edge his voice takes on when he does some of the more ranty lyrics. You picture a straitjacket on a nail in the corner of the room that he's somehow shuffled out of. And Nurse, he's got loose again. That's right. One thing that's extraordinary about this tune too is that it's got some unexpectedly electronic 
sounds in there. This really rough sort of disjointed guitar in the middle of it that could have come from a um, Danger 4 record or a Wire record. It could even be um, Perubu. It made me think when I was listening to it yesterday, I thought of the Perubu connection and in a way he's as equally eccentric and unsettling sort of vocalist as David Thomas, eh? Yeah, that was one of the confounding things to those that adore Beefheart because I adore Perubu and they go, well, how come you don't like Captain Beefheart? And I just pull a face like a dog who's been shown a card trick and I go, oh, I don't know. like oil beads and on its slick smooth trunk that trails behind on tracks and dumps the bit in Bat Chain Puller, the tune suddenly pulls back and it leaves this weird ramshackle toy shop rhythm thing. It's... Hey, just to think about the Tom Waits references, I dismiss them because I think people make them because he sings like this and Tom yeah. Waits sings like this. So freaking what? Musically, yeah. I think they're miles apart. Yes. Okay, uh, we'll take a break and when we come back, something really, well, believe it or not, weird. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. This is Radio Live, the Weekend Variety Wireless, where Grant Smithies and myself delve into a dusty album from 1978 turning 40. If you're listening in the future, this is 2018. We did the math for you. We're looking at Captain Beefheart's 1978 release, Shiny Beast. A when, ripper. When I see mummy, I feel like a mummy. Okay, <laughs> balls in your court. Yeah, lo love it. Strangled trumpet. And trombone action over spastic guitars. What could be wrong with that? Okay. Unless you've got a horn allergy like yourself. But to me, it sounds like a sort of um, New Orleans second line band 
on some very bad acid and therefore great. (laughs) And some weird Freudian business in the lyrics. I mean, he's got mummy issues for Africa, clearly. He was spoiled by me. Yes. Perhaps there's a Pepsi at the back of this somewhere. See mummy, I feel like a mummy. Okay, uh, no shortage of interesting stories surrounding Captain Beefheart. Let's go to the heart of the matter regarding the band. This is where his reputation falls down a rather long set of stairs in my book. Yeah. He thought he was everything to do with the music and he wasn't. He would not pay them. He would abuse them. Physically, Basically, he was Marky Smith. <laughs> worse, worse. Did, did yes. Mar- Marky Smith paid his band? Yes. Um, Marky yeah. Smith didn't lock them in rooms, and he, he might have whipped out quite a bit of emotional torture here and there for, yes. for a good performance. But did Marky Smith ever say, I wrote all of these songs, I wrote all the music, I arranged the music? No, he never kind did. Of, kind of, he did. He was forever saying, you know, if it was if it was just me and your granny on bongos, it would be the fall. But, you know, tyrants in bands, James Brown as well. He was a renowned tyrant. I've talked to various of his band members. But these guys, he sort of took them out to the desert where they were miles from civilization to sort of record and rehearse some of these things. And people actually tried to get away, like they're in a sort of concentration camp. People took off across the desert to escape from him. He'd wake people up in the middle of the night and demand that they came and recorded a certain part and he'd tape over things people had just done and he was just hardcore by the by the sound of it, eh? Yeah. I suppose I should make it more clear that Marky Smith didn't claim that he wrote those pieces of music. He and his granny would be the fall. They would still sound like the fall, but the yeah. song writing, he's not writing the rhythm to L.A. No. Okay, while we're at it, there's a quote from one of the guys in his magic band, John French. Yeah. Okay, he summarised the disagreement over composing and arranging credits metaphorically. If Van Vliet built a house like he wrote music... The methodology would go something like this. The house is sketched out on the back of a Denny's place mat in such an odd fashion that when he presents it to the contractor without plans or research, the contractor says, this structure is going to be hard to build. It's going to be tough to make it safe and stable because it has such a unique design. Van Vliet then yells at the contractor and intimidates him into doing the job anyway. The contractor builds his home, figuring out all the intricacies involved in structural integrity himself, because whenever he approaches Van Vliet, he finds that he seems completely unable to comprehend technical problems and just yells, quit asking me about this stuff and build the damn house. When the house is finished, no one gets paid, and Van Vliet has a housewarming party, invites none of the builders, and tells the guests... I built this entire thing myself. <laughs> That's the best of quotes. I love that. 
Fantastic. Yeah. I dare say it's, every word is true. He ripped off his band too? Really awful. Yeah, it seems like it. They were sort of cannon fodder, mm. even though that some of them were with him for years, weren't they? Yeah. Um, and, and various people passed through for shorter periods, like Ry Cooter was in there for a while and under these various pseudonyms. Yeah. Um, well, there's a hell of a lot of prestige because he made some amazing music. They made some amazing music. Yeah. The fact that he was um, trying to get people to build something that shouldn't be built that way is possibly why a lot of this music has endured and is as interesting now as it as it is. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Right. Ode to Alex? Yeah. Marvellous thing. Yep, it is a good high blast of harmonica, which is the man himself. He plays sax and harmonica on here, amongst other things. Beefheart does. Mm. And then one of his more more of a t- talkover style, spoken word, holler, rant thing at the beginning, and then it all sort of balloons out and gets very full and dense in the best possible way. It's got some grunt, and the rhythm turns itself almost inside out in the middle. I love that. It clears all well. Yeah, agreed. Charming intro, and this is actually a piece of tune smithery, isn't it? It is, eh? It's kind of almost tender thing by comparison with the rest of what's here, you know? Quite a lovely story of dancing with his beloved by candlelight, you know? Delicate and sort of almost sweet. Because it appeals to my sensibilities, I like song writing ease, and I'm you know, not talking the words, I'm talking yeah. t- tune smithery. Just yeah. Got a charming intro. I'm surprised more people haven't covered it. I think it's pretty, and I think this is my favourite. Okay. Threads of fire burning up your feathers of fire Winning night and turning light and turning light Light deepest night for me and still for me Spin and spin, then and then When I'm dancing with my love The shadows flicker up above, up above The shadows do the candle mambo Candle roll, unfolding ball, candle blur, candle whir, candle her, candle her. While your lights are spinning round, your feathers are fire, winning night and turning light and turning light. Candles crack, candle break, correct the night's mistake. 
When I'm dancing with my love, the shadows flicker up above, up above the shadows do the candle mambo. Candle mambo. Candle mambo. Take our last break. We'll come back with uh, what we can from Captain Beefheart's shiny beast. Curiosity not only killed the cat, it spawned a whole radio show. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Shiny Beast released in 1978. We've got two tunes left and a weird thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, one of these is one of my favourites on here, which is called Love Lies, and it's just a slow creeping trombone which probably sends you in the wrong direction mm. and it broadens out to a bit more of a solo at the end and it's just someone sort of you know expressing regret that he's lied to his beloved and she's buggered off some very sort of soulful moaning vocal towards the end he he rings the regret out of it i suppose if anybody was going to find anything on here that was the closest to tom waits delivery because this is a bit less barky and a bit softer then this would be this would be that song i think also because it has a film noir feel to it the street lamps fluttering like fireflies and he sets the scene of calling around to his beloved's house with the lamp lit and not a sign of her in it great i think Stop by your house or your lamp lit. Not a sign of you in it. Where could you go at this hour? Has all our love lost its power? I said I'd be. Fireflies. I wish I hadn't told you all of those. That's Love Lies 
Don Van Vliet, otherwise known as Captain Beefheart. How did he get his name? There's another story. No one knows, but he says that Uncle Alan had a habit of exposing himself to Don's girlfriend, to Captain Beefheart's girlfriend, Laurie Stone. He would urinate with the bathroom door open and if she was walking by, would mumble about his penis saying, Ah, what a beauty. Look at that thing. It's just big. It's like a fine beef heart. No way. I've never heard this before. It sounds like something you could have made up. No, this is from Don Van Vliet. But then again, he is prone to making things up. Oh, yeah. He was notoriously unreliable narrator about his own life, wasn't he? He's forever claiming this and claiming that, which were pure bollocks afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, true. <laughs> it rings truer than his other claims that, oh, it means I've got a beef in my heart about the environment. Get out. No, I don't think so. No. Anyway, it's a better story. Regardless of which one's true, I'm, I'm all for the best story. Winning, hands down, regardless of what the truth might be. A ring's thriller. Yep. Okay, I want to play just a little bit of Ape Smart. He just says Ape Smart. What the hell's going on here? You'll be able to play the whole thing. It goes for a couple of minutes. Max, not even. And it's just, this was recorded in his house, apparently, and um, it was scheduled to go on the first version of the record that got pulled. He liked it for some reason so much that it ended up on the second version, Untouched. So it's basically a demo, him just blathering into a microphone in his own house to someone called Apesma, which could be an aging monkey, you know, whose time is up, ultimately. Apesma, Apesma, your cage is too dirty, Apesma. Remember when you were young, Apesma, and you used to break out of your cage? Well, you know that you're not strong enough to do that anymore now. And Apesma, the little girl that named you years ago has died now. And you're older, Apesma. Remember when she named you and it was in the paper, Apesma? Apesma, Apesma, you're eating too much and going to the bathroom too much, Apesma. And Apesma, your cage isn't getting any bigger, Apesma. Uh, whether he ever had a pet monkey, I don't know. Because it's got that, that vibe of some creature he cared about. Well, anyone on the planet you would expect to have a pet monkey? Yeah, I think he'd be a man. Yeah. Okay, he's dead now. He died in 2000-something, didn't he? He died early, though, I know, from multiple sclerosis. 2010, December the 17th. Right, God, not even that long ago. No. General scheme things, eh? Went on to make a few more records after this. Doc at the radar station, which I also liked a lot, which has got a bunch of stuff left over from the recording of this record, which maybe came out the following year. He was prone to putting out a record and then there being a big break where nothing happened for a while. And he routinely would suggest that he'd given up making music forever. But then I think it was after, is it called Ice Cream for Crow? In the mid-80s or something was the last record, really was the last record he made. And then a painter and a bit of a recluse. The last thing that we haven't played any of, just as a see you later sort of piece of music called Suction Prince, which Love is it. an instrumental. And um, this, to me, is very Perubu. This could, this could be something, this could be a leftover bit of dub housing or something for me. A shit kicker instrumental. The guitars make me think of um, post-punk records, even though people always whack them into the category of some sort of eccentric blues player. To me, this is just post-punk galore. Perubu, probably the closest reference point for me anyway. It's got a groovy rhythm. 15 ideas crammed together, that's what I put down, and it's not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. No, nah, good stuff. Haven't come across an artist that has been quite so lauded compared with how well they are known in the public sphere. Definitely one of those 
musicians who was more influential than popular and has been retrospectively praised to the heavens. If you want to find out and be actually, if not shocked, go at least wow, look up Captain Beefheart, scroll down to where it says influence. <laughs> yes, and don't hit the print button. No. You just run yourself out of ink. <laughs> Thank you very much, Grant. Okay, mate. No We've way. been looking at 1978's album by Captain Beefheart, Shiny Beast, with its addenda for copyright problems. Bat chain puller. Thank you. Yeah, I know Captain Beefheart's a difficult listener. It's an important album, so there you go. Um, thank you very much to Gary Sullivan, who must be a fan. Gary Sullivan, one of our finest drummers. Uh, he suggested having a look at Captain Beefheart. You can suggest things for the program too, if you like. Feel free. Go to the Facebook page, leave a message there. Uh, you can email me on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage. Uh, I entreat you to have a look at the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage because some effort goes into putting up uh, most of the articles in f- for you to be able to re-listen to any time you like. And... Also, a reminder, yet another, because uh, it, it makes listening to the program very, very easy. You can download it as a podcast, hour by hour. All the instructions on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage, and there's an archive for albums turning 40 as well there. So fill your boots, tons of really interesting stuff, and uh, many other archives as well. Just go have a look. That's all I'm saying, because um, if you like the show, you've got lots of stuff to listen to from the past, which, in fact, is timeless. The time now is midnight. Uh, join Overnight Talk, 0800 844 747, 0800 844 I will see you tomorrow night for the Weekend Variety Wireless Sunday edition uh, from 8pm.